my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the HR Sound Off podcast show. How are you doing today? I hope you're I'm doing, doing well. wonderful. You're doing good. Great Always. job. But look, see, my guest is already set and ready to go. But I hope you guys are, are doing great. I hope you're having a great weekend as you listen to today's episode. But I am here joined today by Joshua Evans. And I just said to him that I'm so happy to be starting my day having a conversation with someone named Josh because that's my son's name. So Josh, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Just in, enjoying life and, uh, you know, just being adaptive like everybody else has to be nowadays. It's true. It's been a rough couple of years, hasn't it, for everyone? Yes, it really has. And to be honest, I think that people haven't, I don't know if a lot of, a lot of your listeners would recognize this, but there's a lot of people that don't realize the amount of stress that was thrown onto HR's plate. Because go back to the beginning of 2020, HR already had everything on their plate, right? They're handling anything you can possibly think of, right? So they have a training development, they have onboarding, they have offboarding, they have all, everything, benefits, pay, all the stuff that all goes that. along with, with the mm-hmm. normal HR duties. And they, so they have a full plate. And then when March of 2020 happened, everything started to, to crumble and everybody's like looking around for answers. Who do they look to? They looked at HR and goes, can you help us figure out new policies for what we're doing? And you're like, well, my plate's already full. And so it's like Thanksgiving dinner. And now you've got two plates full of food. And it's, and so I want you to realize, I know how stressful and overwhelming this entire situation was because when, when everything stopped and people were looking for answers, the person that they went to was their HR people because they feel safe with them. Yeah. We are the first responders of the organization. As a matter of fact, I was reading an article yesterday that referred to us as the invisible first responders of the organization because a lot of times people do not recognize the importance that HR plays until crisis situations such as this come into play, right? But it's just like, what would you do without firefighters? If your house was on fire and you did not have the ability to call the fire service, your house would just fade away, right? If you didn't have the ability to call the emergency services and you were really ill, the possibility of you dying becomes even greater now because there's no one to call to get you to a hospital. If you go to a hospital, but there's no doctors, no nurses to service you, the greater risk of you dying, right? So Mm -hmm. when there's a crisis in your organization and you're looking at your first responders, imagine if we weren't there, but think about all the things that we're going through that we're struggling with to be able to support you at the same time. That's the, the synergy. That can be such a thankless job too. It is. Oh yes, absolutely. It truly, truly is. You know what I find very funny is that Nobody appreciates a really good HR person until they've had to deal with a bad HR person. HR person. Mm-hmm. And those are rare. Those are rare, but they exist. And they I didn't do. appreciate 
how wonderful previous HR managers and directors and CHROs were, I didn't appreciate how great they were at their job until I ran into somebody that was in HR that should not have been in HR, right? They, mm -hmm. they didn't actually care about people. Um, they treated it just like as a position for their next position. Yep. And when you run into that, it's eye-opening to realize how instrumental every HR person is to the organization. And of course, and we know this, HR people come off like a, a Labrador. They're so excited and they're so happy and they're so joyful, but that doesn't, that comes with a price, right? That's it comes behind all the efforts that they put in and their expectation yeah. to help make an organization better because nobody walks into HR and goes, I want to make this organization more mediocre. No, they want to make the organization Be better. better. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But Josh, I think we kicked right into the conversation. And th this tells me this is going to be a great conversation. But I just wanted to let everyone know a little bit about you. So please just share with our audience, like, who is Joshua Evans? What do you do? Why do you do it? Okay, so it's going to be a roundabout. I hope you don't mind a little story behind it. And so I, I stumbled into the world of HR accidentally. It, it felt like I was in like a restaurant and I was trying to exit and I opened the wrong door. And now like I'm in a private party and I didn't even realize that I was supposed to be there. <laughs> and so I, uh, I used, I was in, in sales and business development for, for many years. And it's almost adversarial against HR people in that kind of a role because sales, I have things that I need to do and want to do. And then they have a list of stuff that I have to comply with and do. And, and it always felt like there is an adversarial role. But once again, there is a stark difference between a good HR person and a bad HR person. All right. Now, um, I, was, I was in the corporate world for about 10 years and I got, in, I got into an argument with a guy I worked with um, to the point of where I was pretty angry with him. I, I was really excited about this new opportunity and it was going to be great. And he's like, Josh, why are, you, why are you trying too hard? Like, why are you making all this extra work for us? It's like, because that's what they pay us to do is, is to build our company and make it bigger. And he saw it just as more work. And he, one of those people that just wanted a Cadillac through his job, right? Just, mm -hmm. just easy style and not really Posting. work hard. I mean, we've all seen it, right? He yeah. works just hard enough to not get fired. Uh-huh. So um, that night I went home and I was so frustrated with this guy's despondence. And I know, and that, I mean, that's, it's something that every HR person has to deal with is people that aren't necessarily engaged in their work. Um, and I was like, why wouldn't you be passionate and enthusiastic about your work? Why, I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. And I just, I started putting down some thoughts on, on paper. And then after a while it grew and it grew. And over the next couple of years, I accidentally wrote a book because I was so frustrated with this one individual that was um, despondent and, and, and rightly so. I, I had to fight that in my own mind. I, I, I knew that that's the wrong way to be. Right. And so I wrote a book and then um, when it was published and it became a bestseller, I said, this is what I want to train. I want to help people love their jobs. Because on day one, everybody's excited to be there, right? On day one, everybody's engaged. And so that's what I wanted to help people do. And so um, I started looking around for conferences that would hire somebody like me to come and share this kind of information and share these ideas. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to come and speak at a very large HR conference here in my hometown of Houston, Texas. Right. And I said, yeah, sure, let's go. And I had never spoken to HR people other than like filling out paperwork for my benefits or, you know, talking about promotions yeah. or whatever that I'd never talked to them outside of like their office space. And so right. I walk into this room with, with, um, you know, hundreds of HR people and I start sharing my information and it turns out y'all believe the exact same things that I believe. And I was like, my people, I didn't even realize I, I was supposed to be dealing with <laughs> you HR found your people. I didn't know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> a dozen years into my career by now. Uh -huh. and so, um, and so I, I never joined the, the ranks of an HR professional. I've never right. actually been in human resources, but I work with them because y'all believe it. Y'all, y'all drink the Kool-Aid. You know that employees 
that are engaged care about the work. They produce That's better right. work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it, it, it's funny because it's like preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it because the ideas, you, you accept them so readily. And what I love is that I bring this, this business factor to it, right? So how, because right. an HR person can walk me and look, we need to worry about employee experience and employee engagement and retention. And, you know, you'll get just these blank looks from people that are in, you know, C-level positions like, yeah, okay, yeah, we all get it. Go get us some employee engagement. Yeah. But they don't realize what it really matters to their bottom line. And so what I'd love to do is kind of help um, HR professionals unpack why it matters so much to those organizations and the impact, like, having employees that actually care the yeah. impact it has on profitability and productivity of an organization. And the second you start, you start making that connection, all of a sudden HR is excited, right? Because finally they have the vernacular exactly. to put it forward. And then the people within the organization that are making these decisions and you know, hold on to their budgets, they finally realize the huge impact that HR has upon their organization as a whole. And mm-hmm. so instead of, instead of HR having to fight for what they need to create great organizations, I help them convince their, um, their leadership on why it matters. And Absolutely. so what I do, what I do is I come in and I consult for helping create phenomenal cultures within organizations. And then I also do a lot of speaking all over the US to all different sorts of organizations about how people can regain purpose within their work. Mm-hmm. And so that was like the longest preamble to what I do now. But Sorry, it was such a but it was such a good story and very yeah. exciting. And I could see your energy and that you really love what you're doing now. I gotta ask you quickly though, what is the what is the title of your book so that our audience could go pick it up? The, the name of my book is Enthusiastic You. And to be honest with you, it's not that, that good of a book. <laughs> I, <laughs> what do you I mean? It. <laughs> it's, it's not. I'm so, it's a fun book to read. It's easy to read. It's short. There's a lot of stories because I'm, I'm a very narrative-driven person. It's fun, right? This is a, Here's a copy of the book I'm showing you on the video. Right. But it's not a great book. It's a good book, but it's, I'm going to be, I'm just be really honest. I reread it recently and there's so much I missed, especially now a few years into it, having worked with so many great organizations and amazing HR professionals. Right. I now realize a lot of what I've missed in there. It's shallower than I want it to be. And I'm working on a new book that goes much deeper towards purpose within a role, because I think if we have purpose within a role, it makes it so easy for us to be yep. fulfilled and to see that match with our talent and the contribution that we're making. And therein, therein lies, I think the biggest challenge facing organizations today is how do we help our employees make an emotional connection to their contribution uh-huh. if you can do that they'll they'll not just want to stay they'll never want to leave yep. and that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to create because great talent is hard to keep it really is it is, it is. Um, especially it, now well and the problem is and i'm gonna i'm gonna attack hr for a second okay Go here's the it. problem for the past for six decades we've been treating our employees like mercenaries and the, the reason I say that is that we, we find somebody that has the right skill set, right, that can complete these tasks, and we put them on a list for a job requisition, right? And we hand to this person, can you do this stuff? And they go, yes, and we'll give you this stack of money to do this list of stuff. And they go, perfect. And so we make that agreement. They sign the paperwork. They start on Monday or whenever. So now we, now we have this list of tasks, functions, and responsibilities that they have to do, and they're going to do it for this money. We're trading this list of to-dos for this money. Right. And then as HR people, we get offended if that person receives an offer from a company across the street with the same list and a little bit bigger stack of money. We can't be mad about that. We no. condition them to just do it for the money. Exactly. And therein lies the problem, right? So we started we started bribing them with other stuff, right? So we had pensions. Those have gone away, obviously, right? And then we do, we'll do a 401k or we'll do some sort of a, a savings plan or we'll do a health savings account or we'll do added benefits. And we're, these are still just bribes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, bonuses, they're just bribes to keep people right. staying. How many people quit after the beginning of the new year because they got their Christmas bonus? 
a lot. They're bribes. Mm -hmm. And so the, people started getting these new ideas. Like, what if we make it really fun to be at work? And they called it employee experience. And that's not what it really is, but what it's, I would call it more bribes. And I have three kids myself, bribes don't work. And so just take, take for that for what it is. But then we start doing stuff like, okay, we're going to have, you know, free donuts on Mondays, free tacos on Tuesday, beer in the office on Friday afternoons and uh, snacks in the break room. And we're going to get a, a ping pong table and we're going to have somebody come in and spray paint a mural on the wall. Okay. That's just the environment, right? That doesn't matter to be honest with you, right? The environment doesn't matter. Those are just bribes to get people enticed to come there. It's not about the environment. It's about the atmosphere. And I think real employee experience comes back to what we were just talking about a minute ago. It's helping our employees make that emotional connection to their contribution, because then it's not about the money. It's about them being fulfilled, about them deriving meaning from their work. And when they, when they drive meaning from working with your organization, they might try to leave, but they'll come back. And we've all seen it, right? Great organizations don't lose their staff. No. They don't because they want to stay there. It's not, it's not about the pay. It's not about the benefits. It's about their emotional connection. And I think if that's what we focused on, it would save us ridiculous amounts of money on these stupid bribes that we're doing. I'm off my soapbox now, Julie. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm just I'm tired. I, gotta quit, I quit get it. Mercenaries. I totally, I totally get it. And and I want to also kind of come at it from the slant of what happens in the reverse with HR, because I think that when organizations do not appreciate HR and they underpay HR, but HR is working on the compensation and all the fluffy stuff for everyone else but it's something that they're not getting in return because the C-suite doesn't see the value in what HR does other than hiring and firing, then you have a demotivated HR professional. So then how do you deal with that when you work with HR, Josh? Well, therein lies one of the biggest things is that human resource professionals, they have all of, let me put this, I wanna put this really succinctly so I don't upset anybody. You have all of the responsibility but none of the authority. So whose fault is it that they appointed HR? But HR can go, well, yeah, but if you had given me a more competitive number to go and seek new talent, I could find somebody better. Or if you had given me a, a larger budget for our, our training development program, we would have our employees better trained. It's, the pro, it, it's a chicken and egg. Well, you know, if we had the money, then we wouldn't need better HR. No, HR, their, their goal, right? Their goal is to grease the entire organization right? To make sure everything's running smooth, things are doing well, they're planning ahead. Like there's so much that goes into it and they don't realize it, right? Operations doesn't realize how essential HR really is. And so one of the biggest things is, so I'll give you a great example. I gave a speech at a large HR event and then this, uh, it's a radioactive waste remediation company, which is weird. Their HR person comes to me and go, Josh, Josh, I'm just, this is great. I love this information. I want to take it back to my company. Maybe we could have you come in and consult because we've got some problems. So it turns out this, this woman, and we'll, we'll call her Lauren, right? Because that's not uh -huh. her real name. And I want to disguise her identity. Right. She, she started this company about six months before she, she met me. And she said it was the most toxic atmosphere she's ever been in. Right. Wow. Kind of, but she showed up and she said, I got to fix it. She felt like compelled to fix it. Right. And so um, I meet with her. I was like, look, this is what I would do. I think you've got to get your leadership on the same page, do some sort of a retreat, get them really understanding why the, these new changes, right, with engagement and experience have to have to happen. 
and then roll it out to your company. Do some surveys if you want, because everybody wants the surveys. Whether they work or not, we can talk about that later. Um, and, and, and then have, have some workshops, right? So your team actually um, not only builds rapport with each other, but builds a skill set, right, for communicating effectively in the workplace and understanding, mm -hmm. you know, the, the challenges that are common challenges. It's not your problem. It's our problem as a company. Correct. Correct. And so um, I, we got really excited. I put together this big proposal. It's like, here, this is what I would do if I were you. And she goes, well... I don't have any budget. It's like, okay. He said, well, I'm, she's going, I'm going to go ask the COO, right? New CEO of the company. She goes up and she comes back to me like a week later. She's like, okay, he says we have no money for something like this. It's like, well, how did you sell it? She's like, well, I said we needed to do a retreat and some workshops at the, at the office. And I was like, you know, that's not how you sell it. Right. right. She goes, what do you mean? I was like, you're talking in HR terms and he needs operational terms. Stuff like, did you know that engaged employees are 22% more productive than employees that aren't? Correct. Well, all of a sudden, that sounds really fascinating. So what I did is I, I kind of worked with her and I gave her some, some really cool statistics right, from some of the Gallup polls we've seen, some of the Harvard studies. Yep. And we started gathering this information together. I was like, look, hand him this and see what he says then. Because his mouth dropped. So when she first brought it to him, I get to quote this, um, this COO because he told me I could. Uh -huh. he, he think, I thought it was just some frou-frou HR concept. Right. He's like, I didn't realize it was an essential adaptation to the way that business is being run now. Yeah. So the really the really wild thing is because of the efforts that uh, Lauren did. Is that, is that the fake name I used? I don't know. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but because of the efforts that she did, that organization, they they had to get rid of a few people off the bat because there's some toxicity in it. But we right. went through that whole process. We did the retreat. We did some workshops. We rolled the whole thing out to their organization. And at the end, they're um, not only did their productivity go up and profitability go up, right. but their retention, which had been a horrible thing, horrible. their retention was unbelievable right they didn't lose anybody in fact their, their staff uh increased by 40 percent over the next year wow. it was all because of the efforts because she she took the moment to be like no, no 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 we need to look at this in a more holistic view it's not just about keeping people here with money we need yes. to look at fixing the company so people want to be here yes. and um it was it was really neat because it, it's it's a huge win for her personally because she saw a problem she was put in this toxic situation but she fought her way forward. And that's something that, that all HR people want to do. If you find yourself in a bad situation or even in a great company, your goal is to make it better. Yeah. And so how do you do that? Well, I mean, it's, it's all about not only um, gaining the authority that you deserve to have, but being able to implement in a way that doesn't alienate people. Because a lot of times people, they hear, oh, we have this new HR initiative and people roll their eyes because like, ah, because they've seen so many fail. Yep. And the reason they fail isn't because they're not valuable. It's because people don't actually take them on as new procedures. Yeah. And it's all about the communication, how they're communicated as well. Well, Josh, I think that we have really talked about a lot of things that relate to how HR can do better, be better, but how organizations can do better and be better. I wanna ask you, like, what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think our audience would benefit from to develop themselves? Well, and that's a great question. I reread re a book recently. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a great book. If you've never read it, you should. It's called uh, QBQ, and it's a, the question behind the question. Okay. But they have a, they have a, it's a great book by John Miller. Um, mm -hmm. And they have this great concept in it within organizations that it, it, he says it so slightly, but it's hidden in the pages. And it says, you need to believe or you need to leave. And that's the way he runs his organization. He thinks that other organizations should too. And it's not mm -hmm. an HR book. And therein lies, the thing. I think we need to step outside of, of just- of HR. 
Exactly. Because yeah. then we're seeing how other people view the world. And I think exactly. when we do that, it's really invaluable. And so what, what I really would suggest, I think it's more important for us to listen to that little internal bell that'll ring. If I hear something, it starts to get my mind working in, in a non-traditional way, a little abstract. I love that because now all of a sudden I'm approaching problems from a different direction. Right. And if we approach every problem from the HR perspective, we're really narrowing our view and we're yep. narrowing our ability to actually make progress. And so I would suggest just looking outside of normal stuff that you would read and, and try to pick up something else because you don't want to only be in, in this, this sound box of just HR right. information because then, then you get stuck in that vernacular. It's exactly. just like this woman, Lauren, you, you get stuck using that, those phrases and it doesn't help you be more effective with those people. So if you want to communicate more effectively with other individuals within your organization, which you have to do anyway, yeah. um, I think you need to be looking at the kind of stuff that they're reading that way that you can have a, that common uh, language and exactly. that common vernacular. Exactly. It's almost like the analogy of how some very early in the stages of HR, you would have um, females say, oh, well, you know, most business decisions are made on the golf field and we don't play golf, right? Mm. Women started, some women started to play golf so they could fit in. But to your point about, you know, understanding where your stakeholders are coming from and what they're engaging in. And showing that interest also helps you to build stakeholder relationships, right? But then also helps you to be able to articulate better what it is that you're trying to achieve on what you want. You learn a little bit from marketing, you learn a bit, a little bit from finance, you learn a little bit from legal. Um, and you do that by reading all of those different things or listening to or watching those different things that will help you to be able to put those things in perspective, right? A well-rounded HR professional is someone who engages in stuff, not just in the HR space, but outside of the HR space. Absolutely. And I mean, if we go, you go back decades, right? It, would, it used to be personnel and now it's HR. And mm -hmm. it's slowly, I'm starting to see, you know, chief people officers running around. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the rehumanization of the employee, instead of a resource, right? But, but as, a, as a human as being. As a human being, yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> I, I think that is a really exciting thing to see. Yep. I think the flexibility that all organizations have, have been forced to adopt over the past years have really allowed for certain elements of talent that we weren't able to tap into before to be available to us now. Correct. And so it's, it's pretty exciting. It's, it's an exciting time for HR. It it's is. also scary, it obviously, is. because of the uncertainty. Yeah. But it's, it's really neat. And it I, I uh, as I said, the, the thing that I've seen most from, from the hundreds of HR people I, I've spoken to in the past couple of months is there's a sense of, of, anticipation, right? Not anxiety, but anticipation. Okay, what, what's next? How are we going to adapt next? But I think we've shown ourselves that we can adapt and evolve so quickly. It doesn't seem as scary anymore. Correct. And Correct. so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a fun time to be, to be looking at this, especially because with the, the increase of remote work, the talent pool's giant now. Giant. We're mm -hmm. not geographically bound to a company anymore. Whoa, think about mm -hmm. somebody that can't afford to live in a huge city that lives in uh, rural Oklahoma. Now, all of a sudden, they can work for this giant company and they get paid more than they normally would. And now they don't have the cost of living changes. And it, it's, it's a really fascinating time. It, it's, yes, it is. Yeah. All the stuff that didn't seem possible before now is possible and beyond. So it means now that we really have to start to 
take into consideration how the world is changing and be ready to adapt or die. And we don't want to Absolutely. die. So let's adapt. <laughs> that sounds like a better plan. I think so, for sure. The big question, Josh, what's the biggest misconception about HR based on your um, experience and interactions? The biggest misconception that people have about HR that you want to set the record straight on right here, right now. So coming from an operations side, looking at HR, their biggest misconception is that HR, while they make care, they don't know how to fix stuff. That's the biggest misconception because HR professionals, not only do you have to go through ridiculous amounts of training, right, to keep your accreditations and your HRCI and your SHRM credits, I, those are all things you have to continually educate yourself on. You have the knowledge, you have the ability to fix it. The problem is they haven't given you the authority. So the misconception is that you, you want to change the organization, you want to fix it, but you can't. That's a lie. If they were to give and these are the, obviously the good HR people, right? Yeah. Um, not, not those couple of people over there as we talked <laughs> about earlier. If you were to give them the authority to actually implement some of the stuff that they want, these new projects, these new um, procedures, these new ideas, if you were to give them the ability to do that, the results would be huge. Yet they don't want to do that, right? And so I think it's been this clawing struggle for all HR professionals to kind of get that seat at the table to be like, no, 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 no. What you have to say about operations is important. But what I have to say about HR is just as important. important exactly. Exactly. That's and the biggest misconception people have is that HR couldn't actually fix it if we gave them the authority. That's wrong. Yeah. They, 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 act, they absolutely could. They have way more knowledge about how to, to maintain cohesion within a team and how to fix an organization's culture and how to keep exactly. And also how to drive change, right? Absolutely. I, I read a, a report that was recently posted by Sage, Sage People. And in that report, they were talking about the perception gap that exists between the C-suite and HR. And they were explaining that how this gap is slowly closing because of the pandemic. And they've been able to see HR at work in this crisis and recognize, oh, well, what we really thought that HR couldn't do, they actually can do, and they actually can drive our organizations to change, right? And really revolutionize our organizations. If we give them the tools and we give them the power to do that, then it is possible. And so that perception gap, I think they're saying, was originally like around 63% is now closed to like about 40 something percent. So it's still a big gap. <laughs> it's still a big gap. It's still a big gap. And based on the report, it gave like different factors as to why that gap exists. And I could totally understand that again, because as you said before, there's good HR and there's bad HR. Um, and I think there's good and bad in every profession. But when it happens in the profession that is responsible for the experience that people have in the workplace, it kind of shines the light a lot brighter than it would on finance or, or, or marketing or another department, because you are the people who are supposed to be the first responders of the organization. If you have bad first responders, lives are going to be in the balance, right? Mm -hmm. People are going to die. Buildings are going to fall. All kinds of things are going to happen. And so when it's coming to talking about HR, we have to recognize that, you know, that light is shining bright and we have to do, I don't know if you ever watched um, Scandal with Olivia Pope. I did not. Okay, she always, well, she talked about, you know, wearing this white hat, you had to be a white knight. And in, in the fight for truth and justice, you wore this white hat, right? And the same is true for HR. I, I always had, I had a manager who always used to say, you know, HR has to be whiter than white. 
um, when it comes to how we, you know, put ourselves forward in the organization and the things that we do. And when we don't do that, when bad HR exists, you see it on Reddit, you see it on Twitter. Well, and it's rare. And the, and the problem is, is the vast majority of, of complaints against somebody in HR is not mm-hmm. because HR made a bad decision. It's because HR was forced to make a decision because of somebody else's policy, somebody else's procedure. Somebody else's somebody decision. Exactly. HR and then HR is the heavy. Forward, right? Yeah. Well, HR is the one that, I mean, and so I remember many, many years ago, I got laid off from a, from a job and it was during mass layoffs within this organization. And I knew it was coming, right? My, my, my director at the time, he came to me and said, Josh, just to let you know, you're on the list. I was like, that's okay. I already have another job lined up. I'm not worried about it. And so when the HR person came in there, like they have to be the one to be like, hey, I'm so sorry, but yeah. we're making cutbacks. And it's like, it's, it's all right. Just, just, it's not a problem. I, I understand. You're just doing their job. And she goes, you're making this harder on me. I was like, oh no, I'm just trying to be nice. And like, <laughs> she's, like, she's like, it's easy to fire the, or to get rid of people that, that are angry about it, right? Because then, then they, can, they can put themselves as an antagonist. But what, what I think people, sh- I mean, and you probably know this, nobody gets in to HR for fame or for fortune. Right? The only reason people get into HR is because they care about people. Mm-hmm. They love people. That's it. And, and that's, that's where they can serve them the best is, is from a human resource professional role. And that's, that's what I think sets them apart from a lot of other organizations and a lot of other professions is because if somebody gets into to marketing, right, their goal is to become CMO, their, their goal is to, to build up this thing. If somebody's in sales, their goal is to make money. If, I mean, we know that. It's what's unique to HR is that they only get into HR because they care about people. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And um, there, there lies, I think, one of the biggest, the biggest traps that, that we run into is because, because you care so much about people and you're fighting so much for people, think that people think that your ideas are just emotionally driven. But no, you have all this information, you have all this data, we have all of this wealth of knowledge that will transform an organization exactly. if we can if get a moment to grab the steering wheel. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, with that being said, Joshua Evans, you survived your time in the sound booth today. I want to thank you so much for being here, for sharing your insights and your knowledge, your stories. They were greatly appreciated, and I know that our audience enjoyed them. I will share in the comments for people to be able to connect with you on LinkedIn, connect Perfect. with your content, read your book. Um, all of those things will be shared later down. So thank you so much for being Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next sound off.